Hello and welcome to Positivity Hack Delivered episode 26. My name is Beata Young and today's episode is going to be focused on corporate life and restructuring paytech. Our guest today is Gil. Um, she's somewhere in the middle of the countryside, is that correct? I am. I'm in Kent in the southeast of England. Fantastic. So today, Gail Armstrong is going to talk about her paytech, um, her book, and also sharing with us some industry insights in case you want to consider your career in fintech. Let me remind you, this is a grassroots community that focuses on women on IT, an inclusive forum of women in technology, startups, and female leaders who are supported by men as well. And I bring heart to that hustle because empathy is my motto. And empathy is critical when you are jumping from corporate life to restructuring paytech. The two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out. So Gail found out with her paytech company that it's not always disadvantages when somebody decides to shift from working for a big corporation to a smaller one. While the transition is difficult, it is better to find one's true passion, whether in a big or a small company. It is time for another Positivity Hug Deliver and join us in the discussion with Gail, ask questions and discuss with us. Gail herself shifted from working for a big corporation to growing an international paytech effectively. Prior to pursuing her passion and growing an international startup, she was a managing director at Edge Center, working with C-suite clients to create and implement innovative solutions to complex strategic problems. She was client account lead for both operations and technology in a top tier global bank. Gail was also the people lead and, and the diversity and inclusion lead for banking, two things she's very passionate about. Gail is also an early stage investor and non-executive advisor to scale up fintech, legal tech and femtech business. Gail, we're, uh, we would like to start with this new book you're talking about, here is, uh, we are going to show the cover of the book. Can you tell us a little bit about what's it about and when did you launch it? Sure, um, no, not a problem. Thank you very much so, for the very warm introduction. Um, so Reset Your Health Naturally um, actually was a bit of a hobby and something that I did for fun. Um, I really enjoy food in all aspects, talking about it, photographing it and eating it. Um, so that was that's one of my passions. And I also enjoy um, photography as well. And this came about actually um, because I, I was having, you know, some, uh, I guess, issues with my digestive system and actually an alternative practitioner had suggested that um, I should cut back on sugar. Um, and when I say cut back on sugar, she said, um, you should do 30 days at least of no sugar. And I said, well, what can I eat? And she kind of looked at me and said, you know, do some online research. 
So um, I embarked upon this 30 day of no sugar, which included, um, you know, no fruit, no root vegetables, you know, no bread, no meat, um, all of these things, um, no caffeine, <laughs> uh, which was very hard. It was even harder than the sugar. And um, so at the end of that period, um, actually, it really helped. Um, I was having some stomach cramps, etc. It really helped and the problem went away. And I thought that I would just put some of the recipes that I found helpful uh, together and use it as an opportunity as a project as well to develop my food photography skills. And so um, I put uh, the book together to make it accessible for other people um, who are advised to, to follow a, a similar sort of diet um to um just to make it to make it more exact recipes more accessible and have a better understanding of of what might work for them um so i hope it's it's useful uh to people in that sort of situation um but it's not not a diet that i would recommend um for for continuous um sort of following so to speak well, that's exciting uh, to hear you're on a diet uh, i am on a diet almost constantly it's a it's called uh, um, I would say yo-yo diet, you know, I, uh, I keep on trying, but it's not help, helping uh, in a way, any way, shape, shape or form. So I can see that you're definitely very strict with uh, your approach to your dieting. And this is probably quite helpful when you are restructuring a paytech company. Can you tell us a little bit about how you approach that? Sure, not a problem. I wouldn't necessarily link the two. Uh, I, I think about food as a, living a healthy lifestyle on a on a day to day basis. Um, however, I am pretty disciplined, um, and that definitely is helpful when you're starting a new business. Um, it can be quite challenging. There's a lot of unknowns. Um, so where you know where do you start? What do you do on a day to day basis? And also to keep going, um, having come from the corporate world suddenly I didn't have, you know, uh, a kind of um, performance development structure, if you like, and management and so on. I was entirely accountable for getting down and doing the work myself. Um, many things that are quite complex, things that I hadn't necessarily done before and had to upskill in. So definitely being disciplined and structured um, has certainly helped uh, to start the business. Great. Uh, I, uh, I've seen your family delivering some coffee to you. So I understand this, this, di this diet is no longer the case with you. You enjoy your coffee. I, I uh, can sympathize with that because I yeah. used to run a coffee business. So I can't start my day without a cup um, of coffee, which is so unusual because usually Britain, uh, you have your five o'clock tea and your tea with milk. And uh, it's quite uh, interesting to hear that you're enjoying coffee more. Uh, I wanted to ask you, let's go into more details of uh, your corporate structure because you mentioned some uh, some big structured a center is quite a big uh, company and i was wondering what skills you had or and what skills you had to gain uh, on your route to, to build this company paying that we mentioned today sure um so i had spent um 
uh, nearly 13 years at Accenture, um, which I very much enjoyed and built up a lot of skills in um, technology, in transformation. A lot of what we do on a day-to-day -day basis is just problem solving for our clients. Um, I had done quite a lot of work, um, so it was all in financial services, predominantly banking and insurance, um, but it's also some in, in payments and um, quite a lot of work in operations and process. So, um, you know, and then there was obviously a, a sales aspect as a managing director, you're obviously accountable for sales and for running, um, you know, large projects, accounts, revenue, um, effectively a, a, a P&L for your, your client. So all of those things were very helpful. Um, if you think about setting up a new business, you know, you're looking to um, problem solve and create new solutions and innovations for clients. You're looking to create structure around um, how you do your business. You obviously need to sell. If you don't have sales, you aren't going to have much of a much of a business. Um, and so there was, a, you know, a number of aspects there um, that are the foundation of you know, any business in a sense. And then there were some things that were specific uh, to paying, you know, around the payments operations process experience and also experience in professional services. So our main clients are in professional services, particularly accounting and legal, but a, a number of other areas as well. And having come from a consulting background, you know, I can relate uh, very well to our clients and some of the challenges that they are facing and um, getting paid by their clients. And I, you know, I saw some of that myself when working with, with um, uh, in consulting. And so it's very helpful, you know, so there's a number of things there that have been very helpful to starting paying. Fantastic, Gail. Uh, today we are going to test, better test uh, some questions that we have uh, that arise via our uh, website. So let's see what Veronica is asking here. I hope everybody can hear. Just a second. Hi. So my question for Gail is, what were some of the lessons you learned during your days at Accenture that you have applied to your current company? That's very similar question, Gail. Um, so what are the similar things? Or maybe we could even del delve deeper and say what are the differences when you're running your own company versus when you're just responsible for one sector of a big corporation? Um, sure, okay. So in terms of the differences, um, so in a big corporation, you are um, supported by a lot of people. You have experts in all sorts of different areas, um, you know, whether it be uh, different technologies or even internal um, services uh, supporting you with contracts, um, accounting, all of those types of things. So once you start your own business, um, you're a bit more of a, a jack of all trades, I would say, and you need to be able to handle all aspects of the business um, right through, you know, from designing the product that you're selling to marketing it to um, 
you know, selling it and, you know, ongoing customer care um, as you move as you move forward and building out those relationships and maintaining them and responding to customer needs. Um, so for me, for example, um, there were things that I needed or felt that I wanted to upskill myself in. Um, so I've always worked, you know, Accenture is a technology consulting organization. And prior to that, I worked with a lot of IT firms as well. But I felt I needed to be more hands on and upskill myself. So I did a, a, a course and became a scrum master so that I could make sure that I was really interacting with my team, my development team in the way that they expected and understood. Um, so I became a scrum master. Um, I'm effectively also a COO. One of my roles is as the product owner. Um, so I've become kind of upskilled and product owner. And um, for the first time, having spent a lot of time talking about these techniques within as a consultant, it was the first time I actually had to write my own user stories for our product. Um, I also um, have had to upskill myself in marketing. So, you know, in mass marketing, different kinds of tools, what tools work, what do I need to achieve, um, you know, um, testing, A-B testing uh, to see what works with clients and what doesn't. Um, I also had, did a course in um, upskilling myself for reading financial statements. So I was very used to running effectively a, a P&L, if you like, with, within Accenture with my client. Um, but, you know, it's quite different reading financial statements for a business. Um, so I upskilled myself in that and in accounting. So I've never had to do the accounting before. So um, so I did some courses in that. So and, you know, and I'm always um, reading and learning. Um, I read a lot of books by other entrepreneurs and had been doing so for some time before, um, you know, I um, before I left Accenture. So it's always been something that has interested me and I've enjoyed learning from other entrepreneurs and their journey and their story. So everyone, you can learn from Gail tonight. You can ask a question. We've got some more questions uh, recorded. We are going to uh, share the recording link uh, next week so you can record your questions for our guests. But in the meantime, I just wanted to say kudos to you. It's a quite an interesting struggle to be a scrum master, a little bit of accountant, a little bit of marketing uh, guru and uh, be able to also look after your family because uh, you um, are uh, having help, I guess, from your mother that I've seen yesterday in your call. <laughs> um, so my son's at school. Um, so most of the time now, um, uh, you know, my husband and I are the, the very much the primary carers. Um, when I was when I was at Accenture, because I, I travelled a lot, and so did my husband. Actually, we had a lot of help. Um, so, but mostly um, family members. Uh, so my mum and my parents-in-law, who've both, who've all been absolutely fabulous. Um, we also have um, uh, basically someone who we, we treat as a has a member of the family, Sophia, who um, often spends time with my son after school and teaches him Spanish and uh, holidays um, time as well. She spends time with him, so uh, she's pretty much got my son uh, fluent in Spanish, which which is amazing. Um, now I have a bit more flexibility. Um, one of the things about setting up my own business was that I wanted to have more flexibility to spend time, um, more time with my son. So I'm around more often and do spend more time with him. Um, although mm. 
Uh, he's uh, he's luckily out of the house, otherwise he would probably make an appearance, um, but he is at a play date this afternoon. Great. Well, I hope he is going to watch you because it's definitely something exciting for kids to have uh, mum on the screen. Um, <laughs> my daughter is is nine, uh, 21, so she's not so excited anymore. It's uh, <laughs> same old, same old. But uh, we've got Trixie Lopez. She's asking. Uh, she's actually saying it's great book. So interesting. I am curious. How do you manage to uh, to your work-life balance scale? Um, good question. I would never say that it is easy. Um, uh, and actually, I talk more about what I call um, work-life integration. Um, in fact, I, I can't take credit for that name, though, because it comes from a book um, by Mike Tobin, who is a, a friend of uh, the family. And so Mike talks about work-life integration. So how do you get the best out of the things that you want to do personally and um, and professionally? And how do you balance those together? And what compromises, et cetera, do you need to, need to make? So, so I talk more about work-life integration. Um, and I would say, you know, I'll duck out in the middle of the day so that my son is doing something at school and I want to go or I need to take him to an appointment. Um, you know, all of those types of things, you know, I want to fit those in as well as running our business. Um, last year was a brilliant example. So um, when we were homeschooling, um, so I did homeschooling in the mornings and I really didn't start my business day till after lunch. Um, however, it was quite helpful. Some of my clients are overseas. So with time zones actually meant that I could do all my client calls in the afternoon and and pick up things that I needed to a little bit later on in the day. So um, I'm very lucky. Uh, one of the things that when I was looking at, you know, starting my own business and actually had a lot of ideas. And for a long time, I had a little booklet, uh, a little book, a notebook where I was writing down lists of things. And I've been even experimenting with things in my kitchen. Um, I told you I like food. Um, so, but I even with the things that I was experimenting with, what I realized was that they were going to be very kind of physically physical tied to a physical location and very time intensive um, for me, at least to get the business going. And I realized that as starting a new business, one of the things that I wanted to make sure is that I could um, have a lot of flexibility. So um, our business is 100% remote, um, you know, remote working, et cetera, certainly at the moment. Um, and so having, I wanted to have a business that allowed me to, to be very flexible in um, uh, where and how and when I worked. And so it's been really nice to have that control. And that has certainly helped with work-life integration. So work-life integration is the new term uh, instead of work-life balance. I wanted to ask you, because you mentioned you started your business during before the pandemic started, shortly before, right? When, when yeah, was it? After, just after. So I was still in, I was still in a sort of big corporate world at the beginning of the pandemic and then um, started my business in, in COVID, yeah. So what was, what was the biggest struggle for you? Um, starting the business during COVID or adapting to the new way of life? Starting the business. I, I think it's a, it's a, you know, quite different dynamic when you already have got an exas existing business, your client base, and you can pivot. 
uh, whereas starting the business, I uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, so I guess so. Large the biggest challenge is starting the business. Um, uh, in the early days, it, there was quite a lot of intensity around very quickly building our product and doing that remotely with a new team that we had, you know, just onboarded. Um, so it was creating that team, learning how to work with those individuals, um, you know, bringing together as a team, creating our culture as well. We were really starting from, from scratch. And, you know, so we had a lot of activity kind of during the day, working hours, um, you know, with the team, et cetera. And then um, alongside that, we also had to start creating, you know, some of our policy documents and, you know, all of the, you know, um, terms and conditions for our clients, etc. So we had a very exciting um, but intense, really it was three, three, three months, four months from when we um, sort of started the business to building out the, the Pay Inc product um, and software and then to launching that and, you know, and onboarding clients. So that was, it was, it was probably juggling all of those balls at once, meanwhile, kind of upskilling ourselves um, to make sure that we had the skills to do what we what we needed to do, um, at least to get things to a good enough standard. And then as we, you know, um, grow the business, we can engage more professionals in particular areas to help bolster our uh, weak spots, let's say. Well, as they say in uh, startups, and it's not my um, quotation, done is better than perfect. Sometimes you have to settle for doing something rather than perfecting it over and over. Probably starting from the scratch, I mean, uh, having the team that you have to uh, work remotely only and rather than, you know, being in situ and then going remotely was useful, wasn't it? Yes, I mean, I think that it was it was definitely um, uh, COVID. I guess made a, a number of changes, and and one of which it just became the norm to work remotely. And we, as a company, don't know any different. Um, and so, absolutely, I think that that's been you know a, a good thing and has given everybody. It's helped us create our own culture as well. We very much talk about being sort of family first and our kind of remote working culture. Uh, means that people can be at home and they can pop out. So we, several members of our team have their own family, etc., and they can pop out if they need, uh, you know, to take kids for an appointment or to do something with a family, or even if it's just to, to go to the gym. We're really supportive of that. And I think the remote working, the fact that we're not all in an office, gives allows you know them the flexibility to, to pop out, so to speak. Um, and also they don't need to feel guilty because I'm, you know, I'm not I'm not sitting there creating a face culture. Um, a FaceTime sort of culture. So um, I think that that's really um, helpful and has given us a lot of flexibility. Um, it's also helped us start the business um, because also our clients didn't necessarily expect to see us and to meet us. And so we've got clients now in, in three or four continents and we've not met any of them. And, you know, that's it's to me, I feel like that would have been unheard of. It would have been impossible to do that um, pre-COVID, but it's just completely changed the dynamic and the expectations of our clients. And I absolutely hope we've got some wonderful clients and I hope that when things ease up on travel that we can go and meet them. Um, you know, I'd be very excited to go and see them in person, um, you know, especially after the relationships we've built online. Um, it, would be really, it would be really nice. But um, 
you know, there hasn't been that expectation to have an office as well, for example. So quite often as a payments or pay tech or a software company, you would be expected to have, you know, an office in, you know, in the UK, expected to be in London or another major city. And we haven't had that expectation. And you didn't have that expenses, right? So that's definitely uh, in plus. Yes, indeed. Uh, so uh, I'm sorry I'm occupying all your time with my questions. It's time to get our community going. We've got IPOVIT in Patrick's opinion. Patrick is uh, again with us asking his questions. Hi, Gail. Lovely to see you. What are the biggest opportunities for a payments company such as yours? That's a, that's a good, that's a big question. Um, so there, you know, there are a lot of opportunities. We um, are servicing effectively a niche in the market. You've got, you know, um, payments companies, got invoicing companies. Effectively, we are bringing together the kind of 360 degree from the work being done, invoice being sent out, you know, automated processes around that, um, uh, streamlining the payments process and then reconciling. And there is not a lot, you know, we've obviously looked extensively at the competition. Um, there's not a huge amount of competition and some other new businesses perhaps in the field, um, but very early days for them as well as ourselves. Um, so there's a lot of um, scope to go after that it's a service that most firms need that are, um, you know, that are billing, uh, billing their clients. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity in terms of um, potential clients available to us. In addition to that, we work in partnership with um, and have a number of integrations with firms um, who are um, CRM, so client relationship management systems, practice management systems, you know, accounting systems, those types of things that we will integrate with those systems so we can automatically pull data from them and send out to automate the process, the payments and the reconciliations um, for our clients um, without them having to do double entry, for example. So um, there's certainly opportunity there. And then, you know, as we grow the business and, um, you know, I think it would be of something that potentially would be of interest to, um, you know, if we wanted to sell, I'm not saying that, that that's on our, that's not on our agenda at the moment, um, you know, for other, for CRMs or other organizations potentially would be interested in having a capability such as ours in-house. Uh, fantastic. So we let's play another question, this time from Anonymous. Here we are. Why do you feel the finance field is a good industry for women? So, Gail, why do you feel the finance industry is good for women? Do you feel that? So, yes, absolutely. So um, I think there's obviously a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of very good jobs and opportunities for career progression within finance. Um, in my case, in fintech, it's provided a lot of um, opportunity for, for me to control my kind of life, work-life balance or work-life integration and to combine that, you know, with family life. So um, I think there is, you know, a lot of opportunity. There's exciting careers in finance um, and fintech, um, you know, and, uh, you know, and I think they can provide flexibility in the right um, area and field. How do you 
make sure that these opportunities are there because we I've heard some stories that are were quite uh, baffling me because uh, there is uh, outside uh, word that is yes we are very progressive we want to have diversity but deep down they don't want to change anything there are policies that are still the same policies you have to clock in exactly at nine o'clock and you can't miss this clocking time and you have to clock out preferably a bit longer um i, I certainly haven't i haven't seen that um uh you know in 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 my time and kind of in in organizations um i mean it may be true that some jobs uh, in finance are slightly more restrictive um so for example if you're a trader you need to be available during trading hours um but I think as a general rule, you know, large professional organizations um, are really looking to attract talent. They've moved away from, uh, you know, face time, so to speak, and that type of culture, um, you know, but it's still often the careers within finance, though, are, are demanding. And, you know, you do have to put in uh, the time and it's you know, 17, there's lots 30. of stories. Apologies, sorry, that's my talking clock. I couldn't figure out how to to stop it um, for the calls. Okay. Um, so yeah, so um, uh, you know, but I think culturally, like organisations are moving on, and I think that certainly big corporations, you know, they need to attract talent and they want to attract talent um, and maintain it within their organisations. So I think they are working hard to do that, but I think there's always improvements. And, you know, I think it's also um, harder. So having become a mum myself, so my son is six now, um, I think that things that, that are still, that could be improved more broadly across the industry, I think as females, our um, values and what's important, our motivators will change slightly. Um, and I never thought I'd say this, I was really, you know, really, really career driven. Um, but I think now that I'm motivated more so now to build something for my family and that it gives my family flexibility, um, you know, and I can see that, you know, my son is thriving, um, you know, from having me around uh, more, um, you know, my relationships generally. And part of this is driven by COVID. Actually, people have in a funny sort of way more time because you're not commuting, you're not traveling, um, you know, my family relationships um you know my friendships etc are better and stronger um because i've actually got more time to focus on those things well uh, that's uh, again going back to wharf life integration um i have to mention the fact that i was reading today somebody sent me i think it was ipov it sent me this article uh in city am where Basically, London is struggling finding people and uh, to in order to attract the talent, suggesting that we should all consider not only remote working, but also the talent that has got the potential, not necessarily uh, the titles, whether they finish the right university. As you said, you're walking the talk because you became Scrum Master just for the sake of your company uh, without, probably without title, right? You learned it uh, the hard way from your developers, right? Uh, so I did do a course. Um, I did do a course and I did do the Scrum Master exam. Um, I forget the Scrum, Scrum Master in Scrum Institute or something like that. Um, so I did, I did do a qualification um, as such. Um, uh, but yes, yeah, so, 
Um, was there another part to is another part to your question? No, it was just a comment, Gail. I'm very happy uh, to continue. There is praise from IPOV, Patrick's opinion. Thank you, Gail. Great answer. So much opportunity abounds. And we've got a question from Olga Vasina. Great show as always, Beata. Thank you. Gail, welcome. If you look at fintech or even just paytech, how do you think it will look when your son is an adult? That's a tricky one. That, that is indeed. Uh, thank you, Olga, for the question. Um, so, yeah, a good question. I mean, I, it's, I think it will be very different, I mean, you know, from what it is today. I mean, I'm trying to think of the kind of next generation. I haven't given it a lot of thought, but the kind of next generation of, you know, my son's paying, you know, obviously today we're paying by watch, you know, but it's almost, you know, will we all be chipped and be paying, you know, um, by chip, so to speak, and not have to carry our watch or our wallet or, you know, e-wallet, etc. Um, so I think that there could be major sort of developments there. Um, clearly over, you know, and COVID has been a, actually a very good driver um, to more online payments, um, you know, so there will be more simplification of payments processes um, and, you know, a, a much greater move to a continued move to online. Um, will cash still exist? Um, maybe there'll still be a few stalwarts out there that are reluctant to move away from cash, but um, I would expect that it will be, you know, much less in circulation and you'll see more drops as you've seen over the, the last sort of 18 months um, since the pandemic uh, commenced. So you have a will question. I wish I had a crystal ball. Oh, absolutely. Well, you're at the forefront of changing the dynamic for your son and for others. Um, Paytech is definitely very exciting subject and uh, there is a lot of wishful thinking, but it's it's a very, I would say, um, very traditional uh, business model and it's very difficult to change uh, people's mindset and uh, see, think outside of box. How did it happen for you? Did you? What was the company structure as you came in and what did you change to achieve the new heights? Um, so when we started the business, we were mostly focused actually on um, uh, providing payment plans for law firms. So um, we would run the software and the technology to allow um, uh, legal firms um, to provide payment plans effectively to their clients. So, for example, it would be targeted at law firms who were looking at family law, immigration, you know, so not uh, um, corporate or business to business, but business to, um, to consumers. And um, so we started looking at, at that. Um, and we do have clients, we do have a product in that space. But what we found, um, you know, as we were trying to find our product market fit and you know it took some tweaking and adjustments and being a little responsive um, we found increasingly that the demand and the opportunity in this space that we sort of pivoted to um, around um, you know payments accounts receivable and that sort of 360 degree from work through to, to cash and reconciliation um, was just an area where we felt that there was more potential and more opportunity and also better lent itself um, to, you know, um, my skill set, 
uh, and the skill set of my business partner. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as we've heard from Alexa or whoever was talking at Gale, we are past half an hour. We've got another less than half an hour to go. So please let this question come in. We are on LinkedIn, Facebook and uh, YouTube. Uh, if you have any question for Gail or any observation regarding Paytech or any idea for uh, Gail, uh, Gail's business, please speak now. Can you share a story because you've been working with Femtech, you mentioned that you're an early investor. Can you tell us a little bit about that part of your passion? Yes, yeah, so um, most of my kind of investments to date have been fintech and obviously Pay8 being one of those as well. Um, on the femtech side, um, so I have um, engaged with a number of sort of female entrepreneurs and one of the drivers behind femtech is because I want to be more supportive of female entrepreneurs and there tends to be a link um, in the femtech space. Um, so um, it's an area where I think there's not been a huge amount of um, you know, innovation. There are some quite well-known innovations more recently, um, but there's not been a huge amount of innovation. And a lot of the innovations are, are actually sort of app-based, you know, helping women with perhaps um, health uh, or you know, with health and work-life balance, those types of things. And I think that's a slightly um, crowded market. And I think there, it's also very, a very difficult market to get into, um, by which I mean marketing costs are really high. It's very difficult to market to a lady who's exceptionally busy, um, you know, that she needs to do more mindfulness, more this, more that, you know, to help her situation. So I think it's, it's quite difficult. So what I'm finding is it's quite hard to actually identify um, you know, areas that that I would, you know, like to invest in. Um, so, um, you know, it's an area that I hope to see, you know, more innovation, um, more new startups. Um, unfortunately, I don't have lots of brilliant ideas myself. Um, otherwise, I probably would have done that, um, you know, as, as well um, as paying. Fantastic. Well, well uh fingers crossed for that because definitely there is a huge room for improvement and uh, somehow we are not being marketed towards there is a, a actually a study that shows that women are the CFO of the household. So we make the decisions of how to spend money, where to pay uh, and how to pay and when to pay. And we look after our children, but somehow investors or uh, all these big corporations never market it to females. So definitely a big room for improvement there. So um, virtual working, uh, can you tell us a little bit because you've got uh, very mixed teams and uh, all of your team is not really located in the UK, is it? Correct, that's right, yes. Um, so we actually have um, our team, we've got team in Europe um, and uh, LATAM, so in South America, uh, mainly to service our clients. So, um, so yes, it's quite a mix. It's quite um, far reaching in terms of time zones as well. 
um, and we've got some of the team in Asia um, as well. So we've got sort of three hubs, if you like, so Europe, LATAM, Asia. Um, so that's been interesting bringing the team together. You've got all the sort of cultural mix, but I think we're all sort of bound around, you know, um, some of the things that we drive from the core and kind of family first, uh, you know, to, to um, you know, to be innovative and problem solving, creative, you know, um, uh, being responsive to our clients and our, our customer care. Um, so we've got a few, you know, threads there that we have that we have tried to build up, um, you know, as we've developed the culture of the organization so that we build a kind of small, uh, a strong kind of hub, if you like, in, in, a, in a virtual sense. Um, but yeah, but it's just it's been really nice to get to know the team. We've got some really talented people and we really um, trust them to, you know, to get to do the job well. So we we give them, uh, you know, very, you know, direction. But a lot of the they come back with, um, you know, a lot of the solutions that we need for our clients. And we've also really encouraged them as well to to speak up. And you know we've we've got this diverse team. We want to have a diverse team. Um, I'm very proud of the diversity amongst our team, and we want to encourage those people to speak up when it may not always be natural for them to do so. And you know we really try to praise. You know when I get pushback from you know one of the junior developers on the team, and they said, "Gail, but I think this is a better way to do it." I am like, clap on the back, great. You know, thank you for pushing back. Um, you know, so really trying to encourage them. Um, you know, to, uh, to, you know, to come up with new ideas and to voice those ideas and to get that mix and to benefit from their experience, um, you know, not only professional, but, um, you know, personal experiences. Mm. I uh, wanted to tap into this building the culture, the company culture. Uh, you started from the scratch. I mean, you had some company structure and you had to impose this culture to make sure that it's aligned with your beliefs, your, um, you know, your, you will never bond if you don't share the same uh, beliefs or, or similar beliefs or a similar uh, approach, ethics. How did you approach this topic? Did you build some branding uh, approach or was it uh, through uh, structuring uh, some some interesting i don't know uh workshops um so so no i would say actually to date we haven't documented our culture i certainly think and hope that the team can feel our culture um and i would be surprised if they said otherwise um um so yes yeah, so it's not something you know you, as you can imagine when you're starting up a new business um you know, the culture is not the first thing that you sort of try to document uh, or even your kind of company values. But what I think, you know, in terms of how, um, so there have been discussions obviously at a leadership level about what we want to be as an organization and how we want to act and behave and, and what's important to us. Um, you know, and some of those things, you know, that came out sort of family first culture being, you know, um, creative and problem solving innovative um, responding to our, you know, being responsive to our clients, you know, we're all sort of just a, a given. And as we went through, you know, the interview processes of, you know, bringing um, people into our teams, you know, it was, it, it's in our, 
you know, it's in it's very clear, it's in our job descriptions, um, you know, that we are sort of family, you know, first culture, um, you know, and some of the things that we are looking for in in, in individuals is is there. And we talk openly about it then as we go through those interview processes. And interestingly, um, we've had people come to us and say, actually, you know, I really want to work for an organization like yours. Um, you know, do you have openings and and things like that? So it's actually been a, a very positive way to attract talent um, and to attract interest in our organization, um, you know, through those sort of messages that, you know, as I said, we haven't written it into a policy per se, um, but are certainly things that we, um, you know, think, feel, emulate on a, on a day-to-day basis. And, and, you know, actions speak louder than words. So, you know, one of my team yesterday, um, you know, messaged me and said, can I delay the call? Because I need to take my daughter for, you know, a vaccination. I'm like, sure, no problem. Let me know when you're back. And, um, you know, and we, we connected at a different point in the day that suited both of us. So, um, you know, we very much have, you know, we live and breathe um, what we're saying, but we still have very high expectations of our team. We still expect, you know, us to see at the end of a sprint, um, you know, to see those outputs and to see them building up through the sprint, but, you know, to get to to see those outputs at the end. Um, you know, we have clients who depend, you know, are waiting on us to deliver, um, you know, the goods, so to speak. So we have to make sure that we're also, you know, on track and and getting the work done, but we're very flexible about how and when it gets done. Well, Dan, uh, I definitely uh, would uh, would say it's it's well done because it's uh, very important to remember that we are just with people and we need to make keep that um, uh, work life integration. Olga Vasina is curious about the the fact that you've got very cult very big cultural mix. What are the most difficult issues with working and working virtually with a diverse group of staff across the world? Language. <laughs> so um, time zones are the main challenge, I would say. Um, it's also an advantage as well. So we effectively have a almost around the clock um, working model because we've got teams in different um, time zones, which is amazing. It means we can deliver really quickly. So our team can be developing overnight and it goes to our quality assurance team during the day um, or in the morning. It's, it's there when they start their day and we can basically get from development to live in a very short space of time. So, you know, within, within a day, we can have things developed and pumped out to production. Um, you know, so that's actually really exciting. Um, but um, but sometimes when we want to get the team together or, you know, um, you know, it can be t- it can be challenging to get everybody together on a call. And usually it means somebody is is slightly disadvantaged. Um, so that can be a bit more challenging. But, um, you know, thankfully, the team have been very flexible. And also they know, you know, if they're on a call late with us at night, I don't expect them to be at, you know, their, their desk first thing in the morning, their time. Um, you know that they can have a lie in or go to the gym or whatever they would normally have been doing when uh, when they were on a call with us late at night absolutely are you busy or being productive is definitely the key here um before we delve into the last question we have recorded by marianne i would like to ask you how big yours is your team how or how big did you grow your team so um, as you can expect, we're still a startup. We're still relatively small. We're also a software business, um, which makes things a bit easier. But we're about, you know, we're about a dozen people at the moment. And, right. Um, are you? And some of us were a few. You, 
Are you doing all the interviews yourself or is it mix? Um, so yes, um, so myself and the CEO, basically we do all of the interviews. Um, and sometimes we have other members of the team who will also interview depending on which team uh, we're looking to recruit into. So, you know, clearly we want, you know, our lead developer and scrum masters, et cetera, to be comfortable with people who are coming into the dev team, um, you know, likewise in sales or marketing, et cetera, uh, we need everybody to be comfortable. So we're quite collaborative um, at this stage. Obviously it will get harder as we, as we grow, but every team who joins, um, you know, has to, to, to fit um, and has to be able to, you know, work. There's nowhere to hide, so to speak, when you have a very small team. So, you know, everybody's got to be the right fit and it's got to to work, um, you know, for, for everybody who's here today as well. Work to your advantage. So, Erms is uh, asking another question. Thank you, Gail. Olga is saying, Erms is, is just making a comment. Another PhD with women on it, on IT. It's better late than never. Hi, Beata and Gail. I, I am happy to he see you and hear that you joined us, even if late. We've got a question from, from Marianne. Let's hear the question from her. Hello, my question is, what are your daily habits that you believe contributed to the success of your company? Thank you so much. Here we are. What are the daily habits of Gail? Um, so I pretty much work out every day and I know that that's not work, but I would consider a really important part um, of my working day in that um, it sets me up for the day. I feel better having done my workout. I often have bursts of inspiration and will be seen on my stationary bike uh, downstairs, um, frantically sort of typing a message to myself um, so I don't forget. Um, so I, I think that that's key and it's really important, um, uh, you know, to, to, it's really important to focus on kind of your own um, physical and mental fitness first, um, especially when I spend most of my day sitting at a desk. Um, then, um, you know, I've got regular check-ins and regular routine with the team, um, looking at um, our sprints and our, um, uh, how we're progressing through the development of the work on a day-to-day on a -day basis. Um, so looking at that and a routine, um, you know, in all the different areas um, of the business, making sure that they are all progressing. So monitoring um, all of those. Um, I'm also really avid and have always been um, very focused on goals um, and whether they be personal, professional or otherwise. Um, so we always make sure that we have targets and goals in place, um, or OKRs, um, KPIs, whatever you want to call them, but just making sure that we've got um, those in place and that we're focused on and uh, delivering, delivering those. So you have a team of some females and you've seen some females. What do you believe are the top five soft skills or career driven females in your opinion should have? Um, great. OK, good question. Um, so coming at it from, say, an entrepreneur's perspective and has, you know, has a, a COO um, and I think and I think over time also they're, they're, they're changing as well. Um, and so I think increasingly um, creativity and problem solving um, is a key skill. It's a key skill in the business that, you know, I have today. Um, in effect, we are 
we're solving a large, you know, a specific problem for clients or a generic problem, let's say, in terms of invoicing through to, you know, payment accounts receivable um, and all the analytics, et cetera, that go with that. Um, so that's kind of the general problem, if you like. But within each of those organizations and each of the systems that we integrate into, there are always new challenges and things that we need to tweak, things that we need to do differently, use new features that we need to develop to help serve our customers better. So I think creativity and problem solving is really important. Um, I think um, having a growth mindset um, is, is really critical and um, you know, I'm always um, reading and learning new things, um, you know, and I think that that's important. And if you, you know, if you move, say, um, to a new job, you'll feel, you know, at any, you know, in, in, in a new job, you've got to uplift your skills, um, you know, and starting a new business is, is no different. Um, but I think always on a day to day basis, um, that's that's important. Collaboration and teamwork, um, working remote, you know, working remotely, etc. Um, those things are are important. Um, adaptability. So environments will change, things move on. Um, you know, even over the the duration of my career, it's almost been broken into give or take ten year chunks where I've been doing different things in each sort of decade. Um, so being adaptable, changing to new environments, et cetera, is really important. And I think, you know, as the pace, you know, changes increasingly sort of fast paced. Um, I think it's really important um, to to have that to have that skill. So I think that's probably four of the top things um, and learning to ask for a pay rise, which I'm personally not very good at. But at least now I just ask myself. So. <laughs> Fantastic. We can all learn from your experience. Are you working on any exciting new project right now? I mean, there is one book. Uh, what would be the next book if it's happening? <laughs> so there's there's no book in the pipeline at the moment. There, there may be one day. It's just something that I really enjoy doing. Um, and it's, it is a nice project for me in a sense, especially if I combine it with the photography, which I you know obviously also enjoy. Um, reading is also something, I mean, I've mentioned obviously a few times um, as we've been talking, um, but it's something that's really important to me. And I've just been teaching my son to read and that's been like the most amazing experience. And now he's reading independently. Um, for the first time, he said to me about a week ago, I'm really I'm really excited to read the next book and I, you know, it's it's amazing. So so um, definitely something that's important. Um, I'd love. So I'm um, I've just become a STEM ambassador. Um, and, um, you know, I think I like that concept of working with young people and, and getting them interested, hopefully, and excited about careers in, in STEM. Um, I'd like maybe, hopefully, I might, I'm looking to find um, something else in that sort of space that, that really resonates with me. And increasingly, that may, you know, I feel that that may be around kind of children's education and reading ability, et cetera. So that's something that's definitely, um, uh, you know, of interest. Um, outside of pay, I mean, paying in itself is obviously an exciting new um, project for us. Um, um, but beyond that, um, I'm also an advisor to um, a very exciting um, and fast growing company that's scaling up um, called Influencers Club. 
So it's been really exciting. They're a really young, dynamic team. They're growing quickly. So it's been really nice um, to work with them and um, actually to learn from them as well, particularly as they're in a sort of marketing space. Um, so it's been really exciting to learn from them um, as well as, uh, you know, to coach them and to help them with their challenges and, um, you know, to, to talk with them on a weekly basis. I always feel um, excited, you know, when I speak to them and, um, you know, excited for their progress. Well, I think uh, it's a great opportunity for you to share this video and share what you achieved um, and what you have done uh, in the past uh, as a great mentor and uh, great uh, with great experience. They can definitely learn from your experience and whether they are influencers in the fintech space or paytech, whichever area. Can you please give us your favorite life lesson quote and can you share with us the story how uh, or why it is important for you? Um, I actually probably not going to quite choose a life lesson quote, um, but I will tell you about a song. <laughs> and it does contain a couple of quotes that I'm quite fond of. Um, so actually, um, I can quite often be found uh, in the in the gym listening to a song called Energy by a um, British uh, duo called Disclosure. Um, it's electronic music, if, if that's your thing. But actually, there's, there's a couple of quotes in the song that I really, really like. Um, and they released it during kind of the time of COVID. So it was very because because it had very positive kind of um, messages. But um, one of the um, lines is, um, if you are alive, you have not reached your best yet. And I think that's a really good reminder um, of growth mindsets that I've talked about, but, you know, but also to be striving to be your best. Um, you know, so for me, um, I'm not always the most patient person. So I'm working on, you know, um, increasingly being patient, you know, on generally improving my skills that I've talked about in my in business and so on. Um, so that's one line that I really resonates with me. Um, the other is um, where your focus goes, your energy flows, um, which I don't think we can necessarily attribute to the band. I think it comes from, from uh, somewhere else before that. But I do think it's a good... Um, uh, you know, reminder to focus on what's important, um, you know, and particularly when I'm, you know, running the business, there are so many different things that I can be doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, it, you know, it just reminds me to make sure that I'm prioritizing um, rigorously and focusing on the things that, um, uh, you know, really matter because, you know, our energy is is finite and, um, you know, it's, it's draining to, uh, to or ashamed to waste it on things that that don't matter or to be doing things that um that i find exhausting or draining as well so you know i do try and manage my sort of workload so that the things that i'm not good at um you know or that i find very draining or tedious um that i that i looked of ways to to allocate um allocate them to others so that's my fantastic quote. Gail, uh, I think I mm -hmm. think it goes well with uh, you know since it's uh, it's something that you discovered during the your workout. Uh, uh, it, it's a great opportunity for me to quote Jeanette Walls, 
who said, sometimes you need a little crisis to get your adrenaline flowing and help you realize your potential. And today's positivity um, is definitely, uh, we have to focus on the positives, uh, so the negatives become positive. Uh, this is the end of our show. I'm going to ask you one more question. Imagine the pandemic is over, the lockdowns uh, all across the world are over, we can travel and we can do it freely. Who would you invite to have a private breakfast with and where would you go to? Oh, um, I mean, there are a lot of a lot of people I would like to have uh, have breakfast um, with and uh, and a chat with. Um, I always find it really inspiring when I talk to other entrepreneurs um, and somebody that um, I haven't met is Anne Bowden, who started Starling Bank. And I was recently read her book, um, Banking on It. Um, actually, I think I was on the shortlist when it when it came out um, uh, on the pre-order list, so to speak, when it came out. Um, and I think I'd really like to meet her because I just uh, have a lot of admiration for her. I think what she did in, uh, to take on to build a bank is um, pretty ballsy. Um, so I think it would be um, great to meet her. I also, again, thinking about quotes. Um, she has a quote in her book where she talks about uh, she kind of had a choice. One was to sort of like, you know, start a, a small sh a retail shop, a clothing shop you know, or to start a bank, basically. And she's like, well, at least, if, you know, if I fail doing the bank, at least it's courageous. Um, you know, if I fail doing something audacious, it's courageous. So, and I really liked that. It was really inspiring. And and obviously, because she's in fintech, effectively, um, you know, being in, in the sort of fintech, paytech um, area, I think that it would be great to meet with her. And um, in terms of location, um, I've, I'm just in the process of having a new orangery built, so I would be delighted if it was finished so we could come around for a coffee and pastries and fruit. I wish you all the best to meet and have that private breakfast. That's it for episode 26 of the PhD livestream. Thanks to our guest, Gail Armstrong. I would like to thank also our commenters from Veronica Tripsi-Lopez, IPO Vit in Patrick's Opinion, Marianne, Erminia, Olga Vasina. And I would like to remind you to join us next week to talk about Sisters of SEO with Carrie de Phillips. Thank you so much uh, to stay updated and ensure you never miss a positivity hack delivered. Follow Women on IT and turn on notifications to be alerted once a video has been released. When you focus on the positive, the positives get more positives. As always, our positivity quote comes from positive thinking only and goes, look for something positive in each day, even if some days you have to look a little harder. And if you don't like something, change it. If you can't change it, change your attitude, as Maya Angelou would say. Today is your day to hug the future hug the positivity you want. Gail, thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. See you next week, Wednesday, 6 p.m. CET. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show.